0: Right now, though, we're going to welcome in our next live guest. We've got Adam Joseph- Josephson joining us, one of our researchers here at FreightWaves, to talk a little bit about what's going on with supply chain financing. Adam, thank you for being here.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: So let's dig into it just a little bit. Supply chain financing is something that is really interesting, and it's kind of taken our industry by storm, right? We've seen we're seeing a lot more companies start to rely on this as a way to secure a little bit of help in spreading out maybe some of that financial pain that they're seeing break down what it is for us and how it's different than taking on traditional debt
1: sure so it's 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 effectively short term debt it's it's not defined as such but that's effectively what it is it's effectively companies borrowing short term from their suppliers via this Rather complicated series of arrangements last transactions, so it and, and the, the the transactions are set up as they are precisely so that th- this financing is not characterized as debt on a company's balance sheet because companies obviously do not they will do whatever they can to ensure that this is not treated as debt uh for the benefit of their credit ratings, et cetera. But basically, without going into too much detail, a buyer of a product will arrange with an intermediary, typically a bank, for the bank to pay the supplier of that product. So it's not, it, these transactions are happening separately. And the, the idea is that the basically, the, the buyer wants to to take as long to pay their supplier as possible. And via this arrangement, the supplier can in effect leverage the buyer's credit rating to get a better deal on this transaction. And again, it's a little complicated, but let me simplify it. If Procter & Gamble wants to pay its suppliers 60 or 90 days later, they'll tell their suppliers we are going to pay you 90 days later. But it's it has to be worthwhile for the supplier to agree to do this because they're getting paid 90 days later. So the intermediary, typically the bank, will say to the supplier, we'll pay you in 10 days rather than 120 days or 180 days, but we're going to take a bit of the cut. So we're not going to give you the full amount that you're owed by your customer, if that makes sense. I don't want to go into too much detail, but that's effectively what's going on here.
0: That kind of gives people a little bit of pause, right? Because you think about this and you're like, okay, where's the catch? Where does the responsibility fall? We actually saw a new rule being issued by the Financial Accounting Standards Board earlier this year which required more disclosure around the use of supply chain financing, I think in essence to get a little bit more understanding about what's going on and possibly clear the waters a little bit. What did that exactly. rule state? And now what are companies that are using supply chain financing, what are they required to disclose?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great point great point and question. So the FASB was asked to look into this matter a few years ago by the big four accounting firms, because this supply chain finance has become a very large industry. You know I mentioned in my article last week that by my count, there's over a hundred billion of supply chain financing outstanding just among the s and p five hundred companies. So it's a very large industry that's flown under the radar because companies, public companies have not had to disclose, any details of these programs, even though in some cases they're quite substantial relative to accounts payable, relative to their total debt outstanding, etc. So FASB required companies as of the first quarter of this year in their filings with the SEC to disclose the amount of supply chain financing that these companies have outstanding, as well as the uh, roll forward amounts. And I don't want to bore you with what exactly a roll forward amount is, but trying to keep it simple, the FASB required companies to say, this is, amount, this is the potential amount of supply chain financing outstanding that we had at the end of the first quarter, uh, and, and to compare that to what they had outstanding three months ago. So that's that's effectively what's going on here, and this will be a required disclosure henceforth, and so it'll give investors a clear picture of what these companies are doing. And if if investors uh, choose to treat this as debt, then they at least have more visibility into the amount of debt outstanding than they did three months ago.
0: Which is obviously a good situation as far as an investor would be concerned. For a company choosing to use supply chain financing, What are some of kind of the risks that are involved with it? Obviously, if you're talking about taking on traditional debt, you have to worry about creditworthiness, and you have to worry about interest rates and what that looks like. But are any of those requirements or stipulations also involved in supply chain financing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So the risks are, and I talked about them in the article, which is that interest costs are going up considerably. Now the buyer is not the one footing the, the higher interest costs. But nonetheless, some party in this transaction is, is uh, feeling the impact of higher interest costs. So the, the point being the higher interest rates have gone and obviously the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates by 500 basis points in just over a year. That has affected adversely affected the attractiveness of these programs. So that's one risk is that These transactions become ever less economical for all parties because they're much more costly than they were a year ago. Another risk is that this is, as I wrote in the article, an uncommitted form of financing. So, in other words, if the intermediary, typically the bank, whether it's JP Morgan, Citigroup, Deutsche Bank, whomever, wakes up one day and says, you know what, Procter and Gamble or Walmart or Paul Corporation or whomever. We are no longer going to provide you with this form of financing. That's it. There's nothing that the that the the buyer can do about it. That that financing just goes away. That's what that's what I mean by an uncommitted form of financing, unlike other forms of bank financing, such as lines of credit that are committed. So if you're a company that's taken significant advantage of these programs in years past and all of a sudden you no longer have access to them well what are you going to do Where are you going to get your cash from in a pinch so companies could be forced to uh, withdraw you know um, pull down whatever remaining uh, credit they have on their revolving facility with their bank or issue bonds or whatever the case may be so it's basically a form of financing that could, go in a, that could go away in a flash, and companies will have to figure out what to do about it. But even absent that, the cost of this financing is going up, which is a problem.
0: It's a risky business and a risky situation to get into. Adam, thank you for joining us this morning to break it down a little bit. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. All
0: right now, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be back with our next Carrier Update.